to the cycle, guys. It's been a long, painful summer break, but we're jumping right back into the thick of it with one of the most important DC insiders who's so inside, he's actually outside because he's the DC Bureau Chief of Mother Jones. Yep, you guessed it. I am talking about the venerable David Korn, who had uh, put out a book last year that we're going to talk about called American Psychosis, a historical investigation of how the Republican Party went crazy. And, uh, you know, given our, our efforts this year to survive collapsing democracy, I thought this would be a great opportunity to bring more people up to speed on the story of how the Republican Party became a cult. Okay. And what I liked about David Korn's investigation, like all things he investigates, he really tries to get down to the root of the matter and doesn't stick with superficial diagnoses. So when he was trying to explain what happened to American politics, he didn't get stuck on Newt Gingrich, okay? He was more interested in systemic changes in society and culture and how the Republican Party recognized opportunity in those moments to radicalize itself, okay? It's a Frankenstein effect that we see coming from the GOP today. So David, welcome to the show. Good to be with you, Rachel. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a real honor to have you on today. It's such an important conversation. I feel like we have we can't beat this drum enough. We're not dealing with the old Republican Party, okay? There's some elements of it, and they're holding, you know, the toe in the Senate here and there. But generally speaking, we're talking about 70% radical, 30% moderate, okay? <laughs> it used to be the opposite. So your book, American Psychosis, does such a great job of kind of going back through time and tracking, you know, we, we, we get, uh, I know you get mad people to do this all the time on your on your socials it happens to me a lot well democrats were the party of segregation right they're the racist party the democrats in the south were racist and i'm like yeah well they were white conservatives okay and political realignment has left white conservatives in the south in the other party same mm -hmm. people different party right so when you track the the roots of racism it is true it was the democrats but it was powered by a coalition part of their coalition, the Southern Dixiecrats. And now those people don't identify as Democrats. They, you know, it's not obviously not the same people, but generational replacement has moved Southern conservatives squarely. And I mean, squarely into the camp of the Republican party. So how about you tell me and tell the listeners, what did you learn going back through history about what happened to the Republicans? Well, thanks. Um, I mean, the book, American Psychosis, basically is a history of the relationship between the GOP and far-right radicals. And when I was first thinking about it, the subject kind of seemed to interest me. I went looking for a book that, that did something like this. And I realized it didn't exist. And like Gandhi said, be the change you want to be. Sometimes you have to write the books you want to read. And um, but and I real I started going back and I realized that really the modern Republican Party, say starting post-World War II, has this incredibly long history of encouraging and exploiting extremism. It's nothing new now. I mean, Donald Trump has taken it to a more extreme uh version and has made it more as part of the Republican establishment. But the party has always, always done this in the in the modern era. And there are things that keep happening in different iterations that are very, very, very similar. And you can go back and start with McCarthyism. 
you know, McCarthyism basically was the politics of paranoia and based on conspiracy theory that there was a a conspiracy, a cabal run mainly by Democrats, but it also included Republicans just in some degree. But with McCarthy, it was mainly uh, Democrats who were an internal subversive threat to America, more dangerous than, say, Russia or communist China. And that this included this included people in the highest levels of government. Eventually, McCarthy accused the Secretary of Defense, George Marshall, and the Republican administration of Dwight Eisenhower of being part of a communist plot to subvert America. I mean, it was that crazy. But he had millions of people believing this. It was really the QAnon of the day without baby eating and sex trafficking, pedophilia. Um, but it was about how there's this internal threat. Uh, there are other Americans who want to destroy America, and we have to smear them, tar them, and basically throw them out of the American story. And if you look at things ever since then, well, let me just say one other thing. So when McCarthy's writing strong. Eisenhower had the chance or had or thought about repudiating him, but then decided not to. This is when Eisenhower was running for president in 1952. It's one of the early chapters in my book. And he decides not to because McCarthy is bringing votes into the Republican Party, a lot of Catholic votes who previously were Democrats. And also he needs the state of Wisconsin, where McCarthy is from, to win election. So here was like the first when kind of the original sin of this modern era, when Eisenhower, moderate Republican who was a war hero, decides to abide by this uh, exploitation of extremism and paranoia and conspiracy theory mounted by Joe McCarthy, who he thinks is a scoundrel privately. And he wants to, you know, he talks about renouncing him and his advisors convince them not to. So from then on in, the Republican Party has always, at some point in time, at, at some way or another, made an alliance with far-right extremism. And in the 64 election, Goldwater does it by forming a partnership and alliance with the John Birch Society, which was McCarthyism on steroids. They believed that the commun- that 90 percent of the U.S was already controlled by communists, that there were communist-controlled weather machines, that Eisenhower had been a communist agent. I mean, it was just crazy, you know, lunatic stuff. And Goldwater refused to announce the John Birch Society, and his campaign used them as his shock troops to win the Republican nomination against moderate Nelson Rockefeller. Um, Nixon came along, and you talk about the Dixiecrats, when he ran for president in 68, as opposed to 1960, he made an alliance with Southern segregationists, Strom Thurmond and others, first to get the nomination and then to narrowly beat Hubert Humphrey by winning uh, you know, several states in the South, which up to then had been Democratic strongholds. Uh, Goldwater won a few of them um, in, in, six, in 64, which gave Nixon this idea. So here was Nixon making a partnership with segregationists and racists when in the 1960 election, he wouldn't do this. In fact, he tried to court the, the 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 black vote, which previously had been in the Republican camp 
going all the way back to the days of Lincoln. So he cuts a deal with the segregationists. In the 70s, there's the rise of the new right and the religious right. And the religious right included Jerry Fowle and the moral majority that had officials who said, it'd be okay to kill people who are gay because they're gay, because that's what the Bible says, against gay rights. And they're saying that the liberals and the Democrats are trying to destroy America and destroy Christianity, and they're raising the issue of abortion, school prayer, um, uh, saying allegiance to the flag, uh, and all these other things. And Reagan comes along and embraces them. And says, I can, you can't endorse me because you're churches, but I can endorse you. He hugs Jerry Falwell quite strongly, and he beats Jimmy Carter, who previously had gotten the evangelical vote in 76. He beats him in 1980, largely because he embraced the extremists of the far right, the religious right, and the new right, who were, again, putting forward a kind of McCarthyistic view that there was an internal threat to the country. It yeah. was liberals and Democrats, and they were enemies they weren't people you disagree with yeah they were enemies you know against god they were being motivated by satan i mean it was really that far out and so reagan validates that and you can keep going along you know through the decades in the 90s you mentioned newt gingrich calling democrats traitors and treasonous in kind of in league with rush limbaugh who you know basically made it okay to be a conservative hater and yeah. to call environmentalists communists, and they want to destroy America, the America we love. And and Newt was, you know, and then they're all pushing conspiracy theories about the Clintons killing Vince Foster, running drugs out of Arkansas. Again, it's really increasing this politics of paranoia and making common cause with, with these new right-wing militias that are rising in Mich Michigan and elsewhere, and, and Newt's pushing that. Um, in 2000, you have George W. Bush making an alliance with Pat Robertson, an anti-Semitic conspiracy theorist who wrote a book. He put this in a book saying wow. that there was a global international cabal that was run by Satan and included people like George H.W. Bush. They wanted to impose one world, one world order, a world government that would end religion. And, a, you know, a major party behind this was the Rothschild banking family. Yes. You know, the target this of anti-Semitic. This is how it ties back to Nazi Germany. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so, but here was Pat Robertson putting this all in a book. Yeah. And George H.W. Bush and George W. Bush go down, meet with him, hug him, take his money, take his endorsement, and basically tell the world, this guy is on our team. He is a valid, legitimate player in American politics. He was an extreme right-wing nut job. And there are other things he did. You can go, People can, can look it up. But um, so they keep making these alliances. Now, at the same time, their view basically is, you know, we can do this stuff, but when we govern, we're going to govern as more reasonable Republicans, kinder, gentler, compassionate conservatives, and keep these other people. Reagan called them the kooks. That was his word for them. Right. Keep them to the side. And so they managed to kind of do that and, and, and prevent the Republican Party from being too closely identified or associated with these extremists. And that happens, you know, up through the 2000s. And then you have Sarah Palin and the 2008 campaign claiming that Obama was essentially a terrorist and that he was communist and a socialist. And if you went to those rallies, you saw 
this complete influx of 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 of, of, of resentment, paranoid driven people who uh, believe the worst about Obama, that he was a secret socialist Muslim born in Kenya, the whole racist birth theory, who wanted to destroy America so he could become emperor. Now that his policies were bad, taxes too high, was doing too much regulation, didn't have the right foreign policy. No, it was this caricature that had been encouraged by years of right-wing propaganda from Rush Limbaugh, Fox News, Glenn Beck going on TV saying that Obama would create concentration camps uh, for good God-fearing Americans. And John Boehner, Sarah Palin and others going on the Glenn Beck show, again, legitimizing, uh, validating, authenticating him and saying, this is the guy you need to listen to. And at this point, you have the Tea Party come to the fore and John Boehner says, well, I can get these people to vote Republican and become speaker. He does, and then they end up eating him alive. But it's, again, this sort of uh, alliance with far-right, paranoid, conspiracy theory-driven uh, extremism. And it wasn't really until Donald Trump came along. First became famous in the conservative you know, uh, circles. He became a conservative hero uh, uh, by promoting the racist birth of birther theory about Barack Obama. But then he comes and decides to run for president. And he goes, all this stuff that they've been doing on the side for you know for, for decades now, that's the heart of the Republican Party. That's at least 40, 50% of it, if not more. 70. <laughs> you know, I mean, now, you know, back then it might have been a little bit different, but you know, yeah. he was, you know, at first he was getting between 30 and 40 percent. But then he went yeah, up. Yeah, you're right, you're right. And he said, I'm going to speak directly to that. I want to make this this courtship yeah. of far right extremism and resentment and paranoia and racism center stage. You know, I'm not going to do it on the side. He, you know, when people at his rally stood up and said, your problem in America is Muslims. He would say, you know, a lot of people say that we're going to do something about it. And then he would go on Alex Jones's talk show and praise him as a great leader and a great voice in America and basically bring this extremism into the Republican Party out in the open and make it a core component that then sort of transmorphifies whatever um, uh, morphs into this cult of personality. So it was always always, always there. Republicans trying to take advantage of far-right extremism and the paranoia, conspiracy theory, and hate and bigotry that, that is associated with some of it, not all of it, but with some of it, was always there. And Trump just saw an opening um, as the Republican base had been further and further radicalized by Newt Gingrich, Rush Limbaugh, Fox News, Sarah Palin, the Tea Party, Glenn Beck, all that. He saw they were ready for a guy who didn't pussyfoot around yep. on these issues. And so just the other day, uh, there was a story that came out in The Atlantic about Mitt Romney mm -hmm. talking about, you know, where his head is at these days regarding the Republican Party and how disenchanted he is with what it's become. He also said that he was wondering to what degree 
Trumpism had always been an element within the party and what was the responsibility of mainstream Republicans for its growth within the party. I said, Mitt, on the nose, you just need to read American Psychosis, which is now out in paperback, so it's cheaper than it used to be. And will be linked uh, right here in this podcast, I should add. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, But yes, but it shows, you know, this was happening, and yes, people like you did enable it. Yeah. You, you, You took Donald Trump's endorsement in 2012 and said what a great guy he was. Uh, when he was already pushing birtherism, mm-hmm. uh, but you you were there for the ride. Yep. And and Romney, I don't know how many people know this, but Romney was pushed strategically by his team pretty hard to do it to do this this Trump like a, not it would not have been as as uh, egregious and outlandish obviously as the Trump show, but they wanted Romney to come after this cultural wedge and just hammer the wedge. And he was not comfortable with it. So he did not let his campaign campaign team go down this path. So, you know, when Trump emerged as the will, you know, the willing and the able, he he met a very receptive audience in the Republican world, the RNC, the media machine, all of the things that you've described to legitimize him. Right. And so when we talk about, yeah. you know, this this fever within the GOP, as you point out, for the initial decades the the establishment, for lack of a better word, that's what people recognize kind of as your Mitch McConnell type of politician, was able to use them, okay? Then you hit 2010, <laughs> and what we see and what I'll show in the write-up in addition to this pod, to the conversation on the pod, is that we start to see purging of moderates through the primary process and the Republican primary. And uh, one, you know, a person um, like... Um, um, you know, Utah Senator, uh, what was his name? I can't believe I can't remember. He's throwing a blank, but he gets replaced with Bennett. Mike Lee. Bennett, yeah. He gets replaced with Mike Lee, who, you know, we have, uh, as as political scientists, we have ways of tracking extremism that are not subjective. These are empirical, objective, model-based mm-hmm. methods, okay? And when you see somebody like Bennett leave the, 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 the Senate, replaced by someone like Mike Lee, what you're seeing is a purging of a moderate conservative with a replaced with a ideologue, a radical. And, and we see that happen first in that 2010. They pick up 63 seats in the House. Michael Steele will tell you, unlike Mitt Romney, I think he's a little bit more down the path of self-reflection a little bit more. So I think that he's a lot further down the path than Mitt Romney. Romney, you know, is like, OK, maybe we did this. Maybe we you know, legitimize crazy and now crazy has eaten our party. Right. <laughs> but I do think that, um, you know, th- there's starting to be a recognition that they, the Frankenstein that they're dealing with is self-created. They created it. They're creating it every day by legitimizing insurrection, by legitimizing this idea that Joe Biden some kind of warlord <laughs> criminal, right? I mean, Joe Biden yeah. is the antithesis of like corruption and ethical problem. Right. And yet it has be- you know, become a trope that is accepted and it, and it really is a product of this 
gener generational and ideological purging of the Republican establishment. And we've got a couple stalwart people hanging in there, like you know, Mitch McConnell, who's really literally hanging in there. And uh, you know, they're they're kind of towing the more, you know, let's not shut down the government, blow up in the economy on purpose line, but we are hanging by threads. And I do think that we're one more election cycle away from significant significant issue with the Republican Party. Yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah, you mentioned Mike Lee and and Senator uh, Bennett in Utah. I, I tell the story in my book about a congressman from South Carolina named Bob Inglis, who was a pretty conservative fellow. I mean, I think over 90% on the conservative rating and but he was interesting because this is talking, I'm talking going back to 2010. He also believed that climate change was real mm -hmm. and that Republicans and conservatives needed to deal with it. You know, market-based solutions, what, you know, not government regulations, but whatever that it was. And, and he came up with a whole plan for a conservative approach to uh, addressing climate change. And he presented it to the Republican caucus and it was basically crickets. You know, no one engaged, no one asked a question, and that was it. But he was in a primary contest in 2010. I mean, remember, this is the height of the Tea Party. Glenn Beck is promoting these crazy-ass conspiracy theories on Fox News every night about Obama taking over America and becoming a dictator and concentration camps, as I mentioned earlier. And... um He's going down to his district, and people are coming up to him and saying, "We don't understand, Bob. Why don't you? Why don't you just come out and call Obama a socialist? He's a socialist. He wants a socialist revolution." And he would go, "Well, I like to stick to policies. I think he's wrong on this and wrong on that, and I'm gonna fight for what I think is right. I want to do this and that instead." Mm -hmm. And they would get mad at him for that, and he found that people were not who had been supporters of his and financial backers of his for years were just mouthing what they were hearing in Fox, mouthing conspiracy theories. And they would come up. He, said, he remembered one when he went to the home of, of a longtime close supporter and the guy said, well, what about that number in the back of our social security cards? And he goes, what do you, what do you mean? What about that number? He goes, well, the number that shows which camp we're going to be put in. He goes, well, um, I don't really know anything about that. And they go, well, if you don't, what are you doing up in Washington? And I think that's when he kind of realized things were kind of getting lost. And he went to John Boehner. And John Boehner said, he said, what do, what do I do? He says, well, you just tell them that you're, you're, you're fighting Obama and try to stay ahead of them. He goes, it ain't working. If you don't you know, give back to them the crap they're hearing elsewhere, they're not going to support us. Yeah, I don't know how you stay ahead of these guys, John. And that's when he was, the Republicans were hoping to win back the House. John Boehner would become Speaker. And, and he didn't really have any great advice for, for, for uh, Bob Inglis, who then went on to decisively lose the Republican part primary to a guy named Trey Gowdy, yeah. who then be, you know became elected and became famous for running all the Benghazi hearings. And the Republicans won. John Boehner become, became speaker, but he didn't last because all these yahoos, you know, basically came for him. 
and he couldn't survive there. The same issue that Kevin McCarthy is having now, same issue that Paul Ryan had, you know, between the two of them. So the part, you know, you know, people always say, man, why doesn't Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy just sort of stand up, disavow Trump and, you know, bring the party back to where it was? My book's point is that your father's GOP was never really your father's GOP. This stuff was always there. But more important, you know, and I call the book American Psychosis. Psychosis is a detachment from reality. And the detachment from reality is not amongst the Republican leadership. Mitch McConnell is not detached from reality. Kevin McCarthy is not detached from reality. The problem is, and I would say Donald Trump is not detached from reality, um, the problem is that tens of millions of American voters believe this conspiracy theories. They believe what Trump tells them, that the election was rigged, that the deep state is after him. Uh, they are motivated by either racism, paranoia, and, 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 and grievances in which they don't have a accurate analysis of the, of the origins, of the reasons. Uh, for the for for the, the situations that they find themselves themselves in that they don't like, um, but anyway, tens of millions of Americans are buying Donald Trump's lies, and the party cannot really survive as a moderate conser you know, conservative Republican party if its base are people who believe things that are irrational and untrue. And David, Just it's so untrue. important for you and, to have, I think, yeah. brought it full circle to that point, because here's the thing. We're not talking anymore about like a sliver of the base. A sliver of the Democratic base is ideological as hell and, and, and you know, whatever, rigidly ideological and has policy prescriptions that are not practical. They don't hold committee chairmanships. They aren't right. the Speaker of the House. It's They're not nominating these folks for presidents, but they're there. But the, but the thing that people need to understand is that because of this process that you've just spent the last half, half an hour in this book laying out, which everyone should read the book too, is get more meat on this, yes. is that we're not talking about a slice of the Republican base anymore. The median Republican is going to head into the 2024 election with this psychosis, this American psychosis. And that is that actually more people die from getting vaccinated than from not getting vaccinated from COVID because COVID is all right. fake. And that if you take the vaccine, you're actually not even pure-blooded. That's what they say, not their words, not mine, pure-blooded. That Donald Trump is not only innocent, never committed any crimes, that he is actually being persecuted by a weaponized DOJ that is somehow also investigating Hunter Biden and Bob Mendez, but whatever, right? Doesn't need to make right. sense. And they're being told constantly in, in a bullhorn media ecosystem that is inclusive. It does not trans, you know, if you go and argue facts with any Republican online, and I'm sure, David, you could tell the audience this too, no matter what fact you hit with, the source is the problem. We can't trust NBC. We can't trust the CDC. We can't trust the IRS. We can't trust any institution other than the ones that come from the political right. Right. So what we're talking about now heading into 2024 is not a 50 percent problem in the Republican Party. It is a controlling faction. And if they are to take power, especially in the federal government, they have pretty radical plans for the American population that I think Democrats would do well to make clear during this 2024 cycle. Um, it was so great to have you on the pod today. 
I love that you went down and 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 connected all of this. Uh, it reminds me too, and just so you know, Stuart Stevens would agree with you. In his book, it was all a lie. He walks through yeah. how, as a consultant, he was like, "Oh, are we we're just playing with these people for you know whatever for political eff uh, efficacy, right?" Right. And he starts to realize pretty quick, actually, I'm a part of a party that is racist and bigoted <laughs> and, and intent on seizing power to impose racism and big, bigotry on the broader populace. So it, it really is such a timely work. I hope people will will go ahead and buy that book, listen to it on Audible. I'm sure you record the Audible. Yeah. No, we had actually someone a, okay. a more professional person doing. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and um, you know, uh, get, go on there and get David's book. Bring yourself up to history. Uh, this podcast is, you know, gonna uh, the, uh, write up on this pod again as you'll walk through or read through. You're gonna see what happened to the moderate Republicans is they were kicked out of the party. <laughs> they were replaced with ideologues, and now it is a party controlled by the ideologues, as you can see, because Republicans are about ready to shut the government down. Why? Not because they can't find an agreement with Democrats, because they can't find an agreement with themselves. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. And I should also tell people that uh, things that we discussed today, I, I keep investigating and building on in my newsletter, which is called Our Land. And you can go to davidcorn.com to get a free trial subscription. Well, and that is excellent. I will also link that here in the write-up for folks so they don't even have to Google it themselves. And I encourage folks to follow David Korn. He's a, like I said, he's been inside the Beltway so much, he's outside of it. But no, he's a dogged investigative journalist that is pro-democracy and willing to, to speak truth to power always. And that's why you're so valuable in that town, buddy. Well, thank you so much, Rachel. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. <laughs>